Hello, party people. Let's hear some noise. Ah, We are back with another episode of the IBS Freedom Podcast. I'm joined, of course, by the marvelous and wonderful and beautiful Amy Hollenkamp. RD to the max. I'm Nikki. I did slack off on introducing myself for a little while there, but uh, I'm getting back in the swing of it. Getting back into it. Love it. Uh, Love it. Breathe it. IBS Freedom Podcast. My darling, would you like to... Would you like to inform the people of what we will be talking about today, since this one was your brainchild? Yeah, we are going to be talking about basically how to garner support from loved ones, family members, how to discuss your IBS or gut symptoms with family members, how to get help from family members. Um, This was, to be honest, not something I was super great at I feel like during my journey I feel as though asking for help is something that I'm not great at across the board in general I feel like I'm fairly independent sometimes to my detriment um so again like some of these things I wasn't necessarily good at but looking back I wish that I would have tried some of the stuff that I'm going to be talking about today um I don't know. Do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. I don't know in your journey if you were in a similar, if you were a similar way, like you felt like you kind of did it on your own or. I think we might be opposites in this regard. It maybe not. I don't know about asking for help so much, but I was like pretty transparent with people about what I was dealing with. And I had no shame whatsoever talking about like, oh, if I eat that, I'm going to get diarrhea. Right. I don't really have as (laughs) much shame about, I don't really have as much shame about that. Like in terms of poop talk, which is interesting. I definitely see like it runs the gamut with clients. I'm sure you do too, where some are very like tight to the chest with poop talk and Mm -hmm. like are more self-conscious about that. And I would say like, sometimes it's, it's surprising, like even to their spouses, like, you know, like, yeah, they're just worried uh, about that. And, and um, again, like we all kind of have our quirks and what we're worried about. So there's no judgment or anything. But yeah, I think it's funny just talking to people, the level of comfort discussing poop and poop problems varies a lot just from my experience. Yeah, well, it's, it's right up there with periods, right? right. Like we're not really taught to talk about them. It's a little bit taboo. It's, it's considered gross or icky. Uh, even though virtually every woman will have a minimum of one period in her lifetime and every single human being, I pray to God poops, right? At least somewhat frequently in their lifetime. So like everybody has pooped, everybody has farted, everybody has burped. Like these things are not terrible. Like they're not, um, I don't think they need to be as taboo as they tend to be, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, um, again, I was pretty transparent with like, nope, if I eat that, it's going to give me diarrhea. I remember actually when I lived with my best friend, Mamie, she would just randomly inherit a lot of food from me. And, you know, she would ask like, oh, why, why are you giving me this? I'd be like, diarrhea. She's like, okay, cool. And like, like we did that on multiple occasions. Um and 
you know, it's like, what are, what's going to happen? Like, are they going to unfriend me because I admitted that I've had diarrhea? Like, no, come on, what's going to happen? Um, I think also like, I've always been really, really okay with, um, speaking up for like dietary needs at restaurants and at events. Mm. I know that's another one that people get really weird about because they don't want to be a pain in the butt. They don't want to be a nudge. Um, but like, if you need accommodation so that you're able to eat safely and not get sick, I don't, I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of or, or worry about too much. It's all about your attitude, right? It's like, if you like berate the waiter or waitress, and you're an asshole to them, and you're like, I demand that you be able to make your entire menu gluten free for me, then yeah, they're gonna hate your guts. But if if you just ask politely, and you inquire about like, what, what they have available, and what they could work with you on, and you just like remind them, from time to time, like I'll verify oftentimes when they bring the plate to the table, like this is the gluten free, right? And and they'll confirm yes. And like, I don't think that's a big deal either. So I've always been probably weirdly comfortable doing that sort of stuff for myself too. Yeah, I was not. I feel like that's definitely a difference between you and me. Like I feel, especially at the beginning where I had more restrictions, mm-hmm. um, where it was like not just gluten free, there was dairy free. Like again, it just gets, it got a little more complicated and that I feel like I wasn't good about pushing myself because I, I know we've talked about we're both a little bit more people pleaser. So feeling like I was like a burdening this waiter or whatever, that was the mentality that I'd go into of like, oh, you're burdening the waiter instead of being like, well, this is their job. Um, like they are there to help provide you with a meal. Most waiters and waitresses are not going to be that thrown off. They've seen this before like it's not nothing new to them um again like i think a good waiter or waitress is going to be very open to manipulating the the diet or the menu in some way to to help you um as long as again you're polite and like gracious and like you should be at with any just, waiter like even if you're ordering normal items on the menu just don't be an asshole. Right. right. <laughs> and you'll get pretty far in life. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I think, um, and I might have shared this previously at some point too, I think that part of it, oddly enough, is like I was really lucky that I happened to be a vegetarian from the age of like 11 to mm. 22 or 23 because pretty early in my life, I kind of got this habit of like, oh, well, I'm not going to expect that they have anything for me at the barbecue. So I'm going to bring my own veggie burger and it's not a big deal. Like I'm not going to make a big deal of it. I'm not going to like demand that people be able to feed me if I don't think they legitimately can feed me. And like when I would go to a restaurant or something, I would just like politely ask about, you know, omitting a certain ingredient or, you know, what, what would be like a vegetarian friendly meal. But I think I, I got used to doing that dance pretty early in my life. And then it translated well when I found out I had to go gluten-free and dairy-free and make other dietary changes that it was like, oh, okay, I just swapped over from like asking about meat in a meal to asking about gluten. So I think part of my, my story is that I just got really used to that at a young age and not everybody had that experience. Like if you didn't have to go through dietary changes and dietary restrictions until you were in your 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, adult years, it might be a little bit more 
weird feeling to you? You had practice with I other did. in other areas, which again, like maybe did help. I I um, feel as though the restaurants were less dicey for me than just going to someone's house and like feeling rude or weird about bringing stuff like if they were preparing a meal and again like sometimes it if it was someone I was comfortable with it wasn't a big deal but I think like if you're kind of like I don't know if it's someone that doesn't really understand and they ask you a gazillion questions like at family parties it's like well when are you gonna eat normal when when are you gonna eat this again like again it was just like a million questions about what you were doing Mm -hmm. which I think can be was frustrating for me to deal with at times and I think again like there were various degrees of understanding about the dietary shifts that I was making um from different family members friends that kind of thing um I think for me again like the hardest part was going to other people's houses and when I was more strict and part of the problem was I was probably too strict to some degree so there's part of it that was on me and then again like when people would ask me about stuff I'd get very almost offended like again like are you questioning me like it it almost took on more of like it put me on the defense versus Mm. maybe they were just curious about this stuff and trying to understand whereas I was already stressed trying to do this diet and like felt it was more like it put me more on the defense than it probably should have looking back. But again, I was like a frazzled mess trying to sort out gut issues, which we see all the time working with people. And so again, I wasn't necessarily approaching these conversations in a, like a rational way. I feel like either, but yeah, I, I think a lot of it could have been a little bit on me. One being too restrictive, like more restrictive than I needed to be, which again made made the dietary components much harder because it's like you're never going to you're probably not going to be able to go to someone's house if you're avoiding all FODMAPs and gluten and dairy. like again if things are very or again you're gonna have to bring something like it's just going to be too yeah. hard for someone to put together I don't think you can put that on someone else um yeah like a list of 50 foods versus right like a handful like two foods and again like yeah. maybe it's a maybe it becomes a little bit more of a flexible strategy where you are, I mean, first off, anything really restrictive like FODMAP should be done very temporarily. So it shouldn't be an ongoing thing. So strategizing about like telling someone the 50 foods that you can't eat probably isn't something that you need to invest so much time in because it should be a short-term thing. Um, But when I was, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I was going to point that out when you, when you brought up, I think like the first main conversation that we should, we should talk about in this podcast episode, which is when are you going to eat normal? Yeah. Like how long are you going to do this diet? Like those kinds of questions and realistically, you know, again, like kind of going back to many, many podcast episodes at this point, if you don't know the answer to that that's a little red Mm. flaggy and you really need to think like, Ooh, yeah. How long is this diet going to be? Even if you don't know for sure, you could kind of take a stab at it. Right. It's like if you're doing low FODMAP the right way, you should be doing the elimination part of the diet for what is it? 
four to six or six to eight weeks, mm-hmm. literally a month or two. Right. And then you start reintroducing stuff. Right. That's how short it needs to be. Um, if somebody has told you, well-intentioned, though they may be, if somebody has told you that you need to do the low FODMAP diet for six months or a year or until the SIBO is fully gone or indefinitely to prevent SIBO recurrence, <coughs> Allison Seebecker, mm. <laughs> um, you really need to take a step back and question if that's really the wisest thing to do. Um or like if it's, if it's, you know, if you're eliminating something that's allergenic because of like autoimmune disease or something like gluten for celiac disease, like you should be able to work through what the answer to this question is. So like with celiac, you need to tell people, no, this, this is a forever thing. Unless they cure celiac disease in my lifetime, this is just something I'm not going to eat again. Right. Um, and it could make me very, very sick. Mm. And, and I really need you to be understanding of this. And I, you know. I'm going to do my part to keep myself healthy and safe, but I need you to be like understanding and not ask me about it all the time. Right. Um, so, you know, there's that kind of scenario versus again, low FODMAP where it's like, Oh, I'm just doing this diet for the next month. And then I should be able to add in some more variety. Um, right. And then there's probably shades in between like maybe low histamine where you're eliminating some stuff for a couple of months and then trying to introduce a little bit, you know, in the coming months. But yeah, just not knowing the answer to that question, I think is kind of inherently red flaggy. Yeah. And I, and I do think too, something just to make sure to highlight at this point, I feel like one of the biggest frustrations that I had with my journey is feeling like no one kind of understood what was going on. And I think that that's just something inherent, like no one can truly understand what you're going through. Like, I think they can support you and you can let them know how to support you. But I feel like sometimes I, the desire for them to understand, instead of just accepting that they probably won't ever understand totally what you're going through, they can try and like they can, you can explain things to them and they can understand parts of it. But I do think sometimes just accepting too that, you know, there is a limit to what your family and friends probably can understand about any kind of medical issue or symptoms that you're experiencing. If they don't experience, if they've never experienced like chronic bloating or chronic pain in the gut, they probably can't totally relate in every single way. Um, You know, they can try, they can try to understand the situation, how they can help, but probably just I feel like it would have been helpful for me at least to accept that, you know, there's probably a limited amount of understanding that we can get to. There's some understanding, like, you know, how it affects my day, some of the process that I'm going through to help get better. But in terms of kind of like understanding the extent of the symptoms, um, and understanding everything is just not necessarily realistic in my mind, mm-hmm. like, I don't think that that they even need to understand every detail for them to be helpful. So again, like, tell them what they can help with. And um, I think that 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 can be great. But to me, again, like, that was something I feel like I sort of wished for. And we all probably wish for it in general for struggling with anything like, oh, I just want 
this person to like understand like what this is like or understand what these diet changes are. And again, there's just going to be some people that don't get it and and that might be okay. They don't have to get everything to necessarily be helpful for you. Yeah, or, or to be supportive. Right. Um yeah, I think that's a good point. Like no human being is going to understand 100% of what you're going through unless they go through the same exact thing themselves. Mm-hmm. And we would never wish that on a friend or family member. Right. Right? Like if you're super stressed out or if you're sick or if you're in pain, you would never wish a family member or a friend to go through that. So acknowledging that like the absolute maximum amount of understanding they could have for your situation is like 99.9%. Um, but probably it's going to be quite a, a lot lower than that. Um, and you know, you can share again, like focusing on um, like action items, yeah. like how can you help me? How can you make this easier for me. Um, here's what I need from you. Like those sorts of things I think are a good place to focus on. Um, I will say like venting and ranting can be kind of therapeutic to kind of just like get stuff off your chest and say like, Oh my God, it's been so hard and na 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 na. But we also have to be careful not to overburden our loved ones with like too much information, mm-hmm. right? Where it's, it's like you want to share enough information about the medical side where they care and they want to help you and they're not going to be a jerk to you. Right. Like, again, like, and I was just really transparent. I would tell everybody like, Oh, if I eat that, it's going to give me diarrhea. And they'd be like, Oh, okay. And it was just like real matter of fact, that was the end of the conversation. And nobody in their right mind is going to pry more than that after the word diarrhea gets thrown out there. (laughs) So like, it was a really good kind of conversation stopper in a way, but it was also really clear. Um, but like, probably I'll, I'll also throw out there that like your loved ones probably don't want to or need to hear every excruciating detail and like the whole progression of everything you've been through. Cause then it's just like, you're just bleh, like regurgitating on them. And it's not, if it's not geared towards like what they could do or what they could do differently or what you need from them, it might just feel like dumping on them. And that's not a good feeling to be on the receiving end of dumping. So we do need to be mindful of like what we're dumping on our loved ones versus like what is more appropriate to talk about with a therapist, for example. Yeah. Like getting stuff off your chest and processing and just kind of like taking stuff off your shoulders. Like that's, that's sometimes more appropriate for therapy rather than talking with loved ones. So if you're seeking that like understanding and empathy, um, that's a consideration is that that might not even be a thing that your loved ones should be offering you. It, it, that might be more of a place for therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like probably sharing like your whole story over and over and over again, either isn't, like what you're saying, there's a limit to how helpful that can be. Like some amount of venting and getting things off your chest and sharing like, you know, I'm really struggling today. Like those are all important things to do. But again, like if you're, if you're overly vent, vent, ventful, I don't know what, to, what if you're overly venting, mm. is ventful a word? Venting too much? Yeah. I don't think ventful is a word. I like, I mean, we could invent it. Yeah. I'm, I'll run with it. Makes me think of vengeful, but that's not ventful. It's not working. Um, if you're full of venting um, to everyone around you, it could also be 
not necessarily great for your nervous system either. Like if you're kind of just yeah. like spiraling a little bit on your issue and really it's consuming you in a lot of ways, it's probably not great either. And I think even just like you focusing on the action te- action steps as much as possible as well as your family like sometimes too like you can sit and talk and ruminate about the same issue over and over and over again but not take any action um i think both yourself in a gut journey and your family members would benefit from action-oriented steps and strategies that they can help you so that they can help you get closer to your goals um and again like sometimes it's simple stuff that they can do again like maybe it's like your energy is a little bit lower or something so they need to help if they could just help around the house or give you like a day a day off like where they take the kids or something a spouse takes the kids or your grandparents take the kids and you can kind of relax for a day um or again like how can they help with grocery shopping or something are there different items that you're trying to buy or trying to diversify your diet like what can they do to help you there. Um, I have a lot of, a lot of the spouses that I feel like have been really helpful have been the ones that have kind of helped them with meal prep. Um, whether again, like it's the meal prep gets more complicated if they are limited dietarily or again, like just adding new foods in. Like I remember specifically one client's wife coming onto each call and we'd literally talk about foods to add in and she'd, sitting there like looking up recipes to add in some of the foods, the new foods. So again, like I think situations like that, again, where they can take actions that kind of help uh, propel people forward. And again, like I, I, I don't want to be like totally like don't share your story or like vent at all. It's, it's not that we're saying that. I think again, yeah, like you can get stuck in that cycle where it gets kind of not helpful. Yes. Um and even maybe potentially harmful where you're just sort of caught venting and ruminating about the issue instead of taking actions to move forward. Um, Well, harmful for your nervous system and your mental health, again, like reliving the pain of the story over and over again, right? Feels it's almost it's almost a little reminiscent of the whole like, um, seeking reassurance OCD thing that we talked about. What was it episode 104 or something, where it's like, it, you scratch the itch for a nanosecond and you think you feel better for a nanosecond and then it comes right back. Right. And you're just feeding into the cycle. And similarly, I think like in the moment, venting feels good mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, this is helpful. But then it just, the itch comes right back. Right. And there, there is this, this point where venting and rehashing the story not only no longer serves you, but it could be harmful for your nervous system and kind of dig you deeper into that rut with your own mental health and your own nervous system balance. But also you could be harming relationships doing that. Mm. So, you know, like if, if you turn into the Fred who's just constantly offloading on people, right. And you turn into the Fred who's just constantly ranting and raving and bitching about stuff. Not that it's not merited, but you kind of don't want to get like, you don't want to become that person in somebody's life because they might naturally start to try to distance themselves from you right. a bit. And then that's that's just a lose-lose situation either way you look at it. Right. Yeah. But 
Um, one more thing to interrupt you, because I think you were about to speak again, is uh, a therapist or a counselor should have some skills to help direct the flow of the conversation more. So like if if you're venting and ranting and raving with a friend, they might feel stuck and not really know how to derail you from that or how to refocus your attention. Um, therapists and counselors have been trained in that. So if you get into that nasty, vicious, like I'm just going to rant and rave for the whole session kind of space, they should have the skill set to be able to interject. And they will either ask you point blank like, what do you want this session to be? Do you want to just rant or right. do you want me to offer help or feedback? And then you could take a moment to pause and reflect and evaluate if that's what you want to do or not. Right. Um, or they might be able to steer the direction gradually towards something more productive. But again, like your friends and family, they probably don't have that skill set. So they're just, if if you are getting to that space, they're just going to sit there like, ah, 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 okay, yeah. what do I do now? Well, and I, it's interesting you bring up therapy having, or therapists having the skills to be able to direct and they use evidence-based tools. Typically, that's what you'd hope from a therapist to kind of help your mental health. And again, if you are sort of ruminating on one issue, it kind of makes me um, laugh because, you know, I think with the OCD situation, if you're going to like a partner or a loved one over and over and over again for like venting or sharing a story, a lot of times it's like a backdoor way to get that reassurance for them to be like, oh, you're going to get better. You know, like if you're getting reassurance from them, not that all reassurance is bad, but like if you're constantly um, rehashing the same situation, looking for like support and to say like, oh, you're going to get better. Um, and everyone wants to hear that. And again, like, I think it's important to believe that, but at the same time, if you need your constant reassurance like that, sometimes those conversations can actually be really detrimental because if you have someone that's not skilled, it's very natural to want to give reassurance and support. Um, but again, a therapist could potentially, who, who understands maybe some of the anxieties around it could help you in a more evidence-based way. Um, so yeah, again, like I do think sometimes too, if you're like using your friends and family as therapist, you could get squirrely, squirrely advice or squirrely support that might not actually propel you towards the right goals. So there's probably appropriate levels of support and venting and reassurance that you can get from family. But if it's like very urgent and like you have to, you know, vent and you have to get everything off your chest like every day or something like that. That's where, again, like I think a therapist could potentially be more helpful. I think it's, it's all about patterns, right? Yeah. Like if you vent about so like if something crazy comes up in your life um, and you feel the need to like vent about it sometimes, like as you're going through that one crazy thing, or if you, if something scary happens or if something happens where like you need reassurance, you know, right. for like a finite amount of time, that that's perfectly reasonable and fine versus again, if it's, if it's a constant pattern where it's emerging every day or every week for weeks on end and it's, it's like 
kind of feeding into the anxiety that you're feeling. Mm. Like that's where it's again, starts getting red flaggy where you're like, ah, okay. Like this is no longer healthy. I mean, we, we alluded to it an episode or two ago, but like I've had a pretty good deal of stress in my life the last month and I can't count the number of times I Marco Polo'd you and was like, oh my God, this is the update on this crazy ass situation. I can't believe it. What am I going to (laughs) do? So it's not to say that venting is a bad thing. I do it too, but there is a fine line because frankly, I have been on the receiving end of like a friend kind of using me as a therapist and it really like it feeding into the cycle of anxiety. And it's, it's a really yucky place to be on the receiving end of that as a friend where like you want to help your friend or loved one, but the reality is you're not a therapist. So there's only so much you could do. And sometimes doing what feels naturally good and right, like as a friend, like being a good friend sometimes looks different than what you actually need from like Mm -hmm. a mental health therapy standpoint. So great example, like if, if a friend asks you for reassurance, you would feel like an asshole to not reassure them. (laughs) And that's a very natural thing to do, but a therapist might know better and, and point out, Oh, Hey, you're doing it again. And I know that you're seeking this reassurance, but I'm going, I'm not going to give it to you because I think we both know that this is part of your OCD or whatever it might be. Right. Um, but like a friend or a family member shouldn't be put in that position because you feel like an asshole doing that to somebody you care about. So again, it's like some, sometimes separation there could be helpful. 100%. Yeah. What other questions do you like, do you remember any other questions that people would ask you or comments that people would make that would just drive you nuts? Like again, when are you going to eat normal? I think or like how long is this diet going to last for like that well that being one I think again like if I'm being honest with myself like I don't think my family and friends necessarily went about things the right way like in terms of trying to help me but I also think like I was doing things that were not great either so and they did just didn't know how to help so to me it was more my friends and family were trying to help but their strategies weren't necessarily executed in the best ways. So like, for instance, I was dropping weight horrendously. So like, you know, of course, friends and family are like, what's going on? Like, we're really nervous. Like, you look like your skin and bones. Um, And again, to me, I'm being really defensive. Like, well, I'm trying to like manage this. Like, I'm stressing out because again, first off, I'm not nourished. Um. You know, I was on the strict diet, so I'm stressed out about that. My body's stressed out. So I was just a ball of nerves. So looking back, again, I was very defensive. But my family would be like, you know, I remember one time, too, my dad was like, you just need to eat some cookies. Like, when are you going to eat cookies? Again, like, to me, it was like, cookies? Like, I wouldn't, that wasn't even anywhere on my radar. Like, you know, that was so outside of the realm of what I was currently eating, which was like SIBO-specific, low FODMAP in combination with SED. Like, a cookie? Are you kidding me? So, like, again, also, though, Eating a cookie probably would have been wonderful for like the food fear OCD component right. of what was going no. on. Again, like I, I think, I think that would have been too high of an exposure is the problem. Yeah. Like the extreme was too 
high for but looking back again I can say that you know him flippantly being like you just need to eat cookies and like you just need to you know that was him trying to help in a way it wasn't necessarily the right help that I needed at the moment like I think my my family I don't know again like if I would have been receptive honestly in that time period but like again I think it you could have probably could have probably gone about in a little bit better of a way like you know we're worried about you you've been kind of losing weight like you know how can we help you or something like that or again like what what can we do that kind of thing instead it was kind of like a frantic energy on their end too of like oh man we like need to really make sure amy's like not losing too much weight and um yeah so I, again like i think well, it, it it was complicated because again they didn't know how to help me i was kind of like imploding both mentally physically and so it was a hard situation to move through because I think again like when I was going through it I was very frustrated with some of the comments but it's like you know I don't think anything they were doing was like not out of care and wanting me to like not lose weight but which again like is something to think about too like sometimes we're getting very frustrated at family members when they say certain things or do certain things and a lot of times maybe it isn't the right fit for you but they are trying to help like the the intent isn't isn't it, the intent is good but the execution yeah. is poor so sometimes again just like cutting your family a little bit of slack especially if you aren't being really vocal about what you need or what support you want um, or how they can help, I think, again, an important factor in all this. But yeah, for me, again, looking back, I feel like I was just like a ball of stress trying to figure this stuff out. And in a lot of ways, I don't think I was overly receptive to my family's support at that particular period of time. I think even if they went about it in a gentler way, I probably would have been more receptive. I don't know how I would have responded. But again, I was so touchy to anything that was against what I was doing. Like I was so dead set, like this was going to get me better. I just like have to keep doing it, even though I was getting feedback that wasn't like that wasn't aligned with that. Like me losing weight was a big flag. And I think inherently in the back of my mind, I knew like, oh, this probably isn't good. But, like, I'm like, well, I got to push forward because I got to starve the bugs. You know, I got to keep keep uh, the these SIBO bugs from eating, you know. So I better, like, keep, keep on what I'm doing. Like, there's such a frantic energy to, like, ensure that you're not doing anything wrong in treatment. And, again, I'm... Me versus them. This right. is a war, damn it. Right. It's kind of this perfectionistic mentality. There's probably, again, like, I was... I would say I had OCD tendencies during that period of time where it's like, oh, I had to do it this way because if I ate anything SCD FODMAP, like I was obsessive about the food scenario to the point where I was probably not open to feedback, really. Um, I don't know. Well, and it brings up this question of like, there are just some things that are really hard to bring up with other people. Yeah. Like I'm trying to rack my brain as you talk about the story. And I, I don't honestly know what would be a good way to bring this up with it. Like if I had a family right. member who was dropping a lot of weight and looking like skin and bones, I don't know how I would approach it beyond 
just kind of like what you said, like pointing it out and asking what I could possibly do to help if there was anything I could do to help. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's tough. Like discussions around weight are very tough. The same thing goes for weight gain. If you notice a loved one gaining a bunch of weight, like that's a really hard thing to have a conversation about because it automatically, no matter how you approach it, is going to come off as judgy. Yeah. And, and it's going to put the other person on the defensive. Um, mm. Yep. I think mental health too, like trying to suggest to somebody that they should go to therapy or that you're concerned about their mental health intrinsically very, very difficult to bring that up to another human being. It, it kind of turns into this, like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink scenario Yeah, where it's like, you could tell somebody to go to therapy all you want, but they're not going to go to therapy until they think it's valuable for them to go to therapy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I just, I don't know a better way to go about it. Um, I think though, I, I like what you pointed out, which is, giving people the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. and always assuming that people are approaching this from a place of love and concern and they just want what's best for you. And they're, they're trying to be a good friend or family member to you. Um, my equivalent, the closest I can remember is when I was a vegetarian, especially in like my, um, like my teens, Cut years, because again, it was like 11 through about 22, 23. Um, And I remember like my mom was always very concerned about protein. It was always protein for her. Right. And, you know, I would, I kind of would be like, okay, mom, like whatever, it's fine. (laughs) And I wasn't that kind of a teenager at all. But with that, I kind of would be a little bit more close-minded to that conversation where it was like, you're critiquing my diet. And I think I'm right. I think I'm eating this like really healthy diet. Um, But to her credit, I didn't take too much offense when my mom would do that. You know why? Why? Because Mama Sear has always been a brilliant, brilliant woman. She would make me the world's most magical homemade trail mix. And she would she would literally go to Trader Joe's buy pounds and pounds and pounds and pounds of like pistachios, cashews, almonds, you know, dried fruit, chocolate, you name But she would make this like really amazing uh, pecans. Like she would make this really amazing trail mix. And then she would bag it up into little like snack size Ziploc baggies. And she would mail it to me in Buffalo in college, or she would send it home with me on breaks it was so good. I had to hide it from my roommates because especially freshman year when I was in a quad with three other girls, my roommates would try to steal my, my trail mix because it was so good. And all of my teammates knew about the Mama Sear magical trail mix oh that she would make for me. So I had to like hide it in weird locations in my room, in my dorm, because it was so amazing. But to her credit, so like she took that concern over whether or not I was getting enough protein and she made me this, this trail mix that helped me boost my protein and also tasted amazing. And like, I, I ate that every day of my life pretty much when I was oh a vegetarian God. because it was so good. Um, and it was very heavy on nuts and just like a little bit of chocolate and a little bit of fruit. Um, but so I think I give her credit for taking that and like turning it into like, okay, what can I, how can I help her with the protein thing without like hammering on the protein thing all the time? Right. Um, 
my grandmother, very sweet woman. Um, but you know how like when you get older, you give progressively fewer and fewer shits about what people think about you. And the filter starts to come off and you just say whatever the hell's on your mind. Yes, I do. So my, my grandmother, uh, I look forward to those days for the record. I think that sounds like great fun. Um, but my grandmother, uh, I think it was partially dementia and partially the filter was just gone and partially like this was just how she really felt. She straight up would tell me moderately frequently that if I didn't eat meat, I was going to die. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Oh my God. Grandma. Um, and, you know, I would kind of explain to her like, you know, Grandma, that's not true. There are a lot, a lot of people who are vegetarians and they're perfectly healthy and it's fine. Like I get enough protein. I promise. I had no idea, but like, I felt like I got enough protein. I never tracked nutrition a day in my life, but I just guesstimated that I must be getting enough. Um, but yeah, grandma, grandma occasionally would remind me that, uh, and out of concern again, her little wrinkly whistled up old hand would hold my hand and she would, she, with a very quivery concerned voice, she would say that she was worried that if I didn't eat meat, I was going to die. Oh my gosh. Um, But again, it's like, I, when when it was brought up, this idea of like my vegetarian diet not being ideal, uh, I would find myself getting pretty defensive about it. In, and in retrospect, I should have been more open-minded at the time because I guarantee you now, I was not eating enough protein. I was definitely not getting enough iron. I was definitely not getting enough B12. I was definitely not getting enough zinc. Um, like I eat meat again now. And even on a day-to-day basis, I... I miss the mark on iron and B12 and protein pretty regularly. And I do eat meat again. So I can guarantee you looking back at my diet back in the day that I was not getting enough of those nutrients. But again, I was convinced otherwise. And I was very, very like defensive when people brought it up. Yeah. Um, What about because okay, this is a difference between us two. Um, we have shared before that even when I was like prime drinking age, I was not much of a drinker. Mm. Um, in your words, you hit the sauce. Yes. I, I believe that's how you, you phrased it. You hit the sauce. Mm-hmm. What about like, can you wrap your head around if you were kind of in like, you know, late teens, early twenties, like the primo, go out on the town, go out to restaurants, go see the nightlife, get drunk, travel kind of age. Mm-hmm. Um, any ideas how to navigate that? Because I know a lot of our listeners are in that, you know, like 20 something year old kind of span of their life. And they they want to have some degree of a social life. Um, yeah, the only things I could think yeah. of is like, I, I again, like, things have changed in the last 10 years or so. But I would I would just tell like my close friends that I hung out with all the time. They just knew like, Oh, we need to find somewhere that has like a gluten-free option for Nikki because you know, like we don't want her to get sick. And my friends were just really accommodating and really sweet about letting me pick the restaurant a lot of the time or mm-hmm. like going somewhere where they knew there was something I could eat. Um, but I think I had really accommodating, really sweet and also very health conscious friends. Cause I was in chiropractic school and all my friends were, future chiropractors. So they were very health conscious to begin with. But like, can you think of any tips for helping people navigate that part of life? Yeah. Well, don't do what I did. I feel like this is like the whole 
the whole course of this discussion is like, um, I probably did not go about this the right way. But for me, again, I definitely drank. I definitely like loved to go out. I had just started like a corporate job and there was a lot of like drinking. I don't know. Corporate culture is very drink heavy, which I don't necessarily think is great. But like there were, were some fun aspects of like, oh, we can go and like happy hour after work and that kind of thing which I really enjoyed at first. Um, I think for me, it kind of came at a weird point where maybe I was probably drinking a little too much, if I'm being honest with myself. So like there was this all or nothing mentality of like, oh God, I can't drink. And then it was like, oh, now I'm really disconnected with my friends because most of my friends were drinkers and like we were kind of partying pretty heavily at that time. Um, and again, like I lived with two friends who, again, like in the grand scheme of things, like on an, an average, like there are some t- 22, 23 year olds that were ripping it up way more than we were, but we'd probably go out once or twice a week and, and drink fairly a, a hefty amount. Um, but I know my friends were like very sweet trying to support me and like I remember one time they like bought I was like feeling really down like almost depressed I would say like generally I don't swing depressed but I was definitely more depressed during that time but they like came brought me a card and like I think it was for my birthday or something they were like very sweet about it like you know trying to find a way to kind of like pet me up but so again like I think my friends were trying to help as much as they could but like they we're struck. I think again, like there's an aspect of struggle in your early twenties of like trying to figure out like who you are outside of college. Like you're in the real world. Like they had all started their big girl job. So there was like an aspect of like, we're all just trying to find our way a bit and, um, have fun along the way and that kind of thing. But like, for me, I remember having a little bit too much of an all or nothing mentality, um, about going out, um, cause again, f- if my friends were going out, they were going to be drinking. Um, so there was an aspect at first that was like, oh man, I feel like I'm like missing out cause I can't drink. So like there was a bit of an aspect, which really I could have probably had a drink or two. Now, when I had started to lose weight, it made drinking very hard because I would, I had no tolerance probably because I was not eating. So like, I just like could not tolerate alcohol, like even in low amounts, um, it really kind of messed me up, um, being kind of low calorically. So again, there wasn't a little bit of an aspect of that. I mean, again, like, could I have, and there were some times where I did go out and have a drink, like it was kind of like, screw it. I'm just going to like go out and have like a vodka water or something like that. Like something basic that I didn't even really like. I was more of like a beer drinker before all my health issues. Uh, can I just point out that what you just described you you called it a, a vodka water. Yeah. Let's just call it what it is. Watered down vodka. Right. Watered down vodka, for sure. So, and I'd get, usually I'd get like a lemon or something. Like it wasn't terrible. It just like was not my preference. Like it wasn't something I enjoyed. Sometimes I'd get like a glass of wine or something. So, you know, there, I would sometimes find a balancing act, but I would say I could have done a way better job. Like to me, even going out to eat or something and not drinking or going out and not drinking, I should have done more of like, there might've been an aspect of like, Oh, I'm missing out. But at the same time, I still would have enjoyed myself. Um, it's kind of like this idea too, of like, 
OCD-ish tendencies, there's everything's so black and white a lot of times around OCD type stuff. So like, because I was so black and white, like, oh, I can't drink or, you know, I can't do these things when I could have gone out and not drank and, or I could have gone out and drank a drink or something like there could have been some nuance to it. But I think there was discomfort too about going out and not drinking because like, I do think there's a weird thing that happens when you don't drink a lot and your friends do drink where they almost feel like you're subconsciously judging them, even if you're not like, there's this weird thing. Sometimes they'll try to force you to drink. Like they'll be like, come on, just, you know, do one drink or whatever. I felt like there was a little bit of that that I didn't love. Um, so just like, oh, come on, just like have one or, you know, you can drink, like, come on. Like it, it was sort of a weird dynamic of like, there was an aspect of my friends not knowing what to do. Um, in that situation, instead of just kind of leaving me be, it almost makes it, I think sometimes if you're not drinking in a group of drinkers, it makes them more uncomfortable than even you're, than even you are uncomfortable. Like it makes them feel like, why isn't she drinking? That kind of situation. I don't think it would unless now. Unless you're the designated driver. Like right, if you're unless the DD, you're the designated hopefully driver. they're grateful that you're not drinking. <laughs> right, right. And again, like there were definitely friends that were totally chill about that. But I think again, like my friends sometimes were weird about like, well, should we invite Amy? Like, I feel like I just wouldn't get invited to places anymore because I was like, well, I'm not drinking. Kind of like we were saying before, sometimes if you're that friend, that's like, you kind of pull back, maybe it's unintentional. And then your friends are like, well, she doesn't drink. So like, she probably doesn't want to go to this bar, even though I might have wanted to just go and chill and hang out and drink a water or something and hang out with my friends. So again, I think there was an aspect at the beginning where I really pulled back and then it was like, you, you isolated and detached a little bit from the friend group that you were with. Um, and then it, it's, and then I do remember too, like some friends that would always just invite me places, even if it was like drinking was involved, um, or they just continuously invited me. And I do remember, I like really value those friends that kind of like continued to ask me to things, even if I was like flaky, like even if I was pretty flaky for a period of time was like, I don't know. And, but they just continued to kind of keep asking me. And that might be something like a friend and family could do, like is you could even discuss it with a a friend and be like, you know, I really, if you are feeling really bad or something and don't want to go somewhere, which we all have the right to do. Like if you're flared up or something and you don't want to go somewhere, just be like, you know what? I, I really want to go, but I'm just not feeling super great, but I really want to go next time. So please ask, like, please continue to ask me. Um, I didn't do that, but I think that that could also be something to like, to consider. But yeah, I, I think in terms of like the drinking and the lifestyle I was leading before first wasn't necessarily totally conducive to healing, but then at the same time, I couldn't really find a balance that worked for me either during that time. Like I kind of went from like crazy partying. I wouldn't say crazy partying, but more partying. And then again, like totally not partying, not drinking at all. And so it was such a stark contrast that that stressed me out. Again, when we've talked about like when you drop everything all at once, it's like usually stressful. So again, like that was very stressful for for me to make that shift. And I did not find 
a balance during that time that probably would have worked better and not stressed me out as much. Um, so again, like I could have, I could have, there's certainly times I could have gone out with my friends, either not drank or drank a little bit and been totally fine. Um, the only thing where I got a little dicey is when I had lost like 25 or 30 pounds and I just like could not tolerate booze. But again, I could have still tried to go out a bit, um, more again, like there's, there's definitely a, don't do what I did. It's like the moral of this, this particular podcast episode, because I don't think I manage things super well. Um, and again, like it's, it's probably a good thing to do some self-reflecting, even at different parts in your journey, just to like make sure that your own biases or your own beliefs aren't getting in the way of progress. Cause again, like what you were saying about being vegetarian and like, Oh, I am getting enough protein or me being SIBO specific and saying like, I have to do this. Like again, though, sometimes if anyone's maybe even they're not trying to, but feels like they're questioning your core beliefs, that's where you can get very defensive Um, and sometimes when you are getting defensive, you, you kind of realize there might be a bit of truth in what the person's saying. Like, I I feel like there's that. that's why you're getting defensive. Right. There's that inkling. So you like have to double down. Um, but yeah, I don't, I wouldn't do what I did with the drinking or the eating. Um, or again, I don't think that your response was atypical though. Right. It's not, it's not what you're describing is actually pretty common. Mm -hmm. And probably I bet that there's at least one person listening to this episode going, damn, that's exactly what I've done. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to beat up on you too much because past Amy was just doing the best that she could. Again, I, I don't not, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily beating up on myself. It's just interesting kind of looking back and self-reflecting and being like, oh, like you were operating in a, in a way out of fear. Um, and again, like trying to control the situation and trying to help the situation. But a lot of the stuff you were implementing just wasn't, wasn't going to be conducive for healing either. Like, um, when your life gets consumed by this stuff and it all, everything has, everything you do has to be in line with healing the gut. That's where I think I got into trouble. Like I had to yeah, be it's like perfect. Vision. Right. I had to be perfect at healing the gut. And then everything else was like, went to shit kind of, it was just like, Oh, like friendships. I can pick those up later. Like family, we can like figure that out later. You know, hobbies, who, who has hobbies anyway? Like it was just like, everything kind of went out the window and you're hyper-focused and anything that potentially is combating that, is problematic in a way. And again, I, I don't think that mentality is uncommon. Whether, you know, I think a lot of people arrive there unconsciously. Mm -hmm. I don't think that people are consciously thinking to themselves, okay, I'm going to stop all of my hobbies until I heal my gut. I think like it just kind of naturally gravitates that way. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I think that, um, I think, you know, on some level to zoom out for the purpose of this episode, um, I think probably the best tidbits we can offer are try to give people the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. and assume that their their questions on their comments are coming from a place of love and concern and that they just want to help you. 
and they probably don't know how to help you because they don't fully, fully get it. Right. Um, you know, give them enough information that they know how they can help you, but don't overburden them with so much information that you're starting to abuse friendships and relationships and turn them into a therapist when you really ought to be venting more with the therapist. Um, and then I think hammering on something that we've talked about a lot throughout this podcast, which is try to have some balance in your life. Like don't try your best to not let this journey consume you completely and like make time for hobbies and relationships and loved ones and travel. And like, yes, you might have to make accommodations. You might have to pick a restaurant that has a gluten-free menu. Uh, you might have to, you might even have to hang out with certain people more and certain people less, right? Like there are just yeah. going to be some people who don't get it at all. And they're just always a doofus when you're around and they're always asking you these obnoxious questions if you, you know, if you have a, a couple of different pools of friends, like maybe you have some old, old friends from college, maybe you've got some work friends and say you were in like a, a league or did a sport or something and you have some friends from that, like maybe it turns out that you shift yourself away from one group of friends because they really just don't get it or they pressure you to drink it. It makes you feel uncomfortable or they pressure you to eat the bread when you go to the restaurant and it makes you uncomfortable. Um, for better or for worse, I think that sometimes hardships in our life can point out who our true friends are or who we're like best aligned with. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I've heard this similar kind of concept come up with weight loss, where it's like... Um, and I might be butchering it a little bit. I don't remember where I first heard this, but it, you know how people say, somebody said once that you are an amalgamation of the five people you spend the most time with, mm. right? So if you think through who do you spend the most time with, you're basically a mishmash of those five people. Um, if you're trying to lose weight, as, as another example, if you're trying to lose weight and your five closest relationships all eat really, really unhealthy they're not active, like the best thing in the whole wide world to them is going and like binging a bunch of unhealthy stuff at the Cheesecake Factory every week. And like they have no kind of health promoting, no health conscious bone in their body. It's going to be really hard to be like the healthy person in a group of unhealthy friends. If that's like the kind of culture in that friend group. Similarly, if you had a group of five people and you chose to quit smoking and all of your other friends were smokers, it would be really, 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 really hard for you to be the one person who quit smoking. Yeah. And even if you do quit, you're probably going to go back to smoking, realistically, because all of the people you're hanging out with are smokers. So I think like, if there are friends or family members who just are not getting it, and it's beyond the point where you could give them the benefit of the doubt. It's beyond the point where you could make it work. You might actually find yourself needing to distance yourself from certain people and mm -hmm. gravitate more towards the people who really get it and are able to support you. And that kind of sucks. It's not something anybody wants to hear, but I do think it's it's true at times. Right, like setting some boundaries. And I, and I do think that there's also people that are just generally toxic to your recovery across the board or again just are not 
going to be adding anything beneficial in their stressors in general, even outside of, you know, having a gut issue. They're just generally like they suck the life out of you in different ways. Um, And sometimes cut it can be a good time to cut some of those people out of your life if, again, you do know like, oh, I'm around this person a lot and they just really zap me. Um, and you again, might not even fully realize it until you've kind of cut ties with them. And then right. you're like looking back and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, that person was insane in the membrane. I'm right. glad. I'm glad right. that we parted ways after all. But that might take a little bit of time and perspective to see. Right. For sure. And again, like sometimes it can just be like, if if there hasn't been a boundary in place with that person, you set that boundary and like it just naturally has them flow away and sometimes people come back sometimes people do change like i do think that people can change sometimes people say that they don't they can't change like if someone really wants to come back in your life after they've kind of done some work on themselves or are willing to respect a certain boundary that you've laid like that could work too um so again like i i do think that analyzing your relationships in general as like you know There could be a lot of people, like we were saying before, who might be trying to help, but just like are clueless. They don't know how to help. Their their strategies of helping is not necessarily well executed, but they are trying and they care about you and they love you. But then again, I do think that there's some people that are just maybe sucking you into their own problems and draining you as a whole. And we have to be careful of those those relationships we have too. Yeah. Or just making your health journey more about them than it is about you. Like, I think that can happen sometimes too, Mm -hmm. where it's like, say you go gluten-free and then they make a big deal about how inconvenient it is for them. Right. And how hard it is for them. And it's like, well, you only have to deal with it for this one meal. (laughs) Right. I have to deal with it every meal of my life potentially. Mm -hmm. So that kind of energy too, I would watch out for like if people make your problems or your health more about them than it is about you. um, Right. Maybe steer clear from that. I think also I'll share um, the only word I could think of to describe what I'm trying to articulate here is flowy. Like I, I think that there's some flowiness to life and it it's okay to let things ebb and flow and change kind of naturally. Um, we tend to have this weird little brain experience as human beings that we think like whatever is around us right now is like permanent or semi-permanent. Mm-hmm. Like I'm always going to be married to the same person. I'm always going to have the same friends. I'm always going to have the same passions and hobbies and interests. I'm always going to have the same body and the same dietary needs. And like, that's not true at all. Um, and right. even with relationships, um, what is what is the expression that people come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime? The people who come into your life for a lifetime are really rare. Uh, it's much more common that people come into your life for a reason or a season. Sometimes the season is, you know, a year or two, like college. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a longer season, like a decade. But it's okay if 
the natural progression of a friendship or a relationship has passed. And now it's, it's time to just kind of let, let you guys flow apart. And if it's meant to be, it'll come back together. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's, I think that probably most of your relationships, if you can give them the benefit of the doubt, see that they're just trying to help you acknowledge that a, they might not know how, and B, there are just certain topics that are really, really hard to talk to another person about like your dietary choices, your weight, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of cut them slack for that and acknowledge that they're trying to have a tough conversation with a limited tool belt. Um, yeah. And they're just trying to help you and approach it with love first. I think that that will help with a lot of, of relationships. And then, like I said, acknowledging that some people you might just actually have to cut ties with and, you know, kind of pick your battles. Like, is it worth explaining to Marianne for the 8 millionth time and getting that judgy look from her? Or do I just cut Marianne out of my life? Like, I don't right. know. Or do I just like try to distance myself a bit from that person? Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's all I had on my radar for this conversation. Yeah, I know I, we need to wrap up momentarily, but yeah, do you have any remarks? The only other thing I wanted to say when you were talking about your grandma not having a filter, my grandma always said that she can be appropriate and boring or inappropriate and fun. So it's kind of like I love that what you're describing with your grandma. As she's eating yeah. Taco Bell. She was very big in a Taco Bell. She ate Your like Graham and I have that in common. She literally ate like a like sixteen year old boy. So she liked Again, Taco Bell. Fancy she Nancy. Liked and I have that in a lot too. I assume that we're talking about yeah. Fancy Nancy, by the way. Yes, you are. We are. Okay. It's funny. Okay. She, we're talking about Fancy Nancy, but she didn't necessarily have fancy food taste. Give her a Diet Coke, clearly, some pretzels, and and a little bit of cheese, and she'd be very pleased. As well as Taco Bell. She loved tacos. Um, well. May I, may I share something? So yes. when I was a vegetarian for all those years, one of my absolute favorite like dine out things to get was I would go to Taco Bell. This is gonna this is gonna age me probably because it's pr- inflation. It's probably different now, but back in my heyday with my love affair of Taco Bell, oh my you God. could get ten tacos for ten dollars. And I would get 10 crunchy tacos, but I would get them with the refried beans, mm-hmm. you know? So just like refried beans, cheese, lettuce. I think I would have the moment, the tomato, because I didn't do tomato back then. I just never yeah. loved it. But I would I would have like this lineup of 10 crunchy tacos, and I would demolish all of them in one sitting. Oh, my <laughs> so, gosh. Um, was that after you rowed? No, I think that was even pre-rowing. Keep in oh mind, I'm God. six feet tall. So I'm just like... I, I'm a, a bigger girl. I need a lot of fuel to run this body. Right. Um, certainly. No, after rowing, my two accomplishments food-wise were when I first invited Mike over for my now husband, when I first invited him over and cooked for him, I made spaghetti and meatballs. And first of all, I had I had been a vegetarian for 10 years. I had no idea how to cook meatballs. It's just miraculous I didn't poison him, first of all. But instead, I overcooked them. <laughs> So they were dry little nuggets. Um, but I made him meatballs. And when I was cooking the pasta, I was like, okay, I'm going to put the pasta on. And I got out two boxes of spaghetti. And Mike was like, what are you do- Like, why are you making so much spaghetti? And I was like, well, 
Like, I've got to make enough for you too. Like, one for me, one for you. Because my normal was to eat an entire one pound box of spaghetti in one sitting. Oh my gosh. That's like how Armand is too. And he was just like, what are you doing? But it didn't occur to me. I was rowing for like two, three hours a day. Right. And doing like a second workout a lot of days. And like, I just, I was burning through calories and carbs so much that I would eat a pound of pasta for dinner. Oh my gosh. Um, The other thing was once upon a time, BFF from college, Paige and I, who was also a rower, we demolished single, not single handedly, double handedly, the two of us demolished a sheet pizza in one sitting. Oh my god! Just gosh. the one time though. That was a splurge. Oh, my god. oh man. So, well, yeah. we better wrap this up. I do have a call. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's about the high point anyway. I don't know how I yeah, could impress our down. listeners any more than I already did with those, I'm with those feats of, of eating. But yeah, when you're working out, Feats of culinary excellence. That's right. That's what we're going to call it. Um, But yeah, you guys know the drill. We'll catch you on the flippity flip in the next episode. Toodaloo.